This episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Stay tuned, and I will tell you how you can try ZipRecruiter absolutely free. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million-dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? (laughs) Uh, Well, George Clooney, of course. (laughs) Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope all is well in your world. Uh, thanks again for taking the time to listen. Uh, coming off our last episode here on PTSM, a conversation with Terry Zapinski, uh, better known to the world as the Warlord. Remember the Warlord? Oh, man. Uh, at the time of his run in the WWF from uh, about oh, 1988 to 1992, right there in my wheelhouse, uh, he may not have been the tallest superstar on the roster, but he was definitely the most massive. <laughs> uh, a great conversation about the roller coaster career he traveled uh, during his career and uh, the many injuries that he had along the way and the ones that finally did him in and effectively ended his wrestling career. Uh, man, but during those glory years, my goodness, uh, what an incredible human specimen. Uh, he talked about hanging with the road warriors, uh, Animal and Hawk, and, and how really they could literally lift cars. Those guys were just incredibly strong, uh, just amazing. Really enjoyed that conversation with the warlord. I want to thank Terry Zapinski for coming on PTSM. You know, folks, I am uh, really getting excited about taking part in a major documentary I've been telling you about. Um, coming up about the late, great, rowdy, Roddy Piper. And if you've been listening, uh, I want to tell you, you have a chance to join me uh, doing it. Now, if you are one of our Patreon members, and there is still time to become one, so you can have a chance to be a part of it. And uh, we're doing this now. uh, uh, We're having our members send me your best memory, your encounter story with Roddy, and then I'm going to submit those to the producers of the documentary and then they are going to choose several and then when we shoot this segment uh, coming up I'm going to call you we'll get it all set up and uh, we'll have a conversation about Roddy you'll tell that story or whatever else you want to add and that discussion could then be chosen to be a part of the show so if you aren't a member yet there's still time we will be taking submissions until July 26th so if you're listening to this podcast and the day it dropped you have uh, like two days so if you're interested get on it Go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's patreon.com slash primetimemooney. All right. Another piece of business, and this is directed at our business owners out there. And, you know, uh, and one of the most difficult parts of trying to run a successful business. You know, of course, every business wants and needs great people. And that is not always easy to do. But it can be 
And yes, I know a better way to do it. Something much better than just posting your job online and then just praying for the right people to see it and apply. And, uh, you know, uh, the place to do that, the, the company to do that with is ZipRecruiter. Now, ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for and then identifies people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply for your job. And ZipRecruiter is so effective that listen to this, folks, four out of five, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter absolutely free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. And just to make sure you don't miss the chance, I'm going to say it again. ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All righty. Another great episode coming your way this week, focusing on some of the lives of some of the most tragic legends in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, given there are many, many uh, wonderful stories, you know, that's one side. I mean, there are wonderful stories that uh, have unfolded over the years in wrestling, but people seem, you know, most fascinated by the darker tales. And two people realized just how true that was, two guys who wanted to tell the stories of what really happened. And to make that a reality, they came up with the idea of a television series called The Dark Side of the Ring. Let's get to our conversation with director Jason Eisner and producer Evan Husney. Ding, ding, ding. The lore of professional wrestling is full of wonderful stories about legends in and out of the ring. But there is also a dark side to this business. Tales of tragedy and misfortune that were part of the lives of some of the greatest names in wrestling. And I'm sure all of you listening right now have heard a few of those tales and have wondered, are they really true? Or are they ones that contain some truth but have uh, been embellished, shall we say, over the years? Well, my guests this week are the creators of the now very popular series, The Dark Side of the Ring on Viceland, each show dedicated to telling the real stories behind some of the greatest legends in professional wrestling. Welcome, Jason Eisner and Evan Husney. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on Primetime. How are you? Great. Hey. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having hey, us. I, I tell you, I love the series. I, it is just uh, tremendous. And oh. uh, to me, it's like a cross between uh, behind the music and unsolved mysteries. <laughs> so, uh, you know, perfect. Uh, That's yeah, perfect. Where, did the, where did the concept come from? And I don't know who wants to start first, uh, Jason or, or Evan. Go ahead. Maybe I'll start. Uh, this is Evan. <clears throat> uh, yeah. yeah um, so Jason and I have been friends now for almost over 10 years. And uh, we, you know, I grew up in the Midwest uh, and he grew up in Canada and we were uh, ever since childhood wrestling fans. You know, we've been we've been you know wrestling fans our whole lives. And Jason yeah. and I actually really bonded over that. That's how we kind of became best friends. Mm -hmm. And Jason was a film, or Jason is a film director. He's made um, a couple of movies and a couple other things. And I had been working at Vice. Uh, this is going back about five years now, four or five years ago. And I was producing short documentaries and um, a, um, a few things for uh, uh, Vice when they started their TV channel. And we both he and I really just wanted to see like a uh, like a like a very cinematic approach 
to the world of wrestling in a in a documentary sense because it had been a really long time since like a sentimental documentary had come out about you know featuring wrestling like beyond the mat or something like that and uh, we're obviously huge unsolved mysteries fans okay <laughs> yep. but we're <laughs> so you were dead on there uh, yeah. uh and and we were also huge fans of like errol morris or like uh i don't know if you've ever seen his film um his film from the 80s called the thin blue line but it's this it's this really incredible true crime story um, about a guy who was wrongfully convicted for uh, uh, the killing of a um, of a of a, uh, a police officer. And it's just like the way that it's you know strung together and the music and everything really sets the bar for where like true crime documentary series wound up, you know, going nowadays with stuff on Netflix and everything. And we wanted to see that sort of treatment done to these yeah. incredible stories in the world of wrestling that are so singular like these crazy stories that only can exist in this in this um in this world and so you know and and Jason and I also at the same time were kind of reliving our childhood uh you know fixation on wrestling but now with 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 YouTube and the internet we were able to go back and kind of discover like the territory era and discover uh, like Japan wrestling in the '80s, and like Bruiser Brody and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All the, all these icons that we had missed because because of our age, and um, and 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 that's when we really discovered what happened to Bruiser Brody and what his you know his during his whole untimely tragic passing, and that's what we identified as kind of the starting point for the series. Is we really wanted to do a documentary about Bruiser Brody. That's where the whole idea came from, and it was kind of mixing those influences of like. Unsolved Mysteries and the Thin Blue Line and the story of, you know, Bruiser Brody's final day, which really hadn't been told in a big way up up to uh, up to this documentary. And that's what we pitched to Vice and they allowed us to make that as a pilot. And then we got um, uh, then then they greenlit us for a full season, which is what you saw uh, earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah, And if you and if you know, like if you if you, you know, grew up as a wrestling fan and you watch wrestling documentaries you know that like wrestlers and people who work in the wrestling business are probably some of like the greatest like storytellers in the world and like in a lot of ways like we almost didn't even have to do reenactments because like they can they can all paint such a vivid picture of of, of what happened in the past that they just like it can really like transport you and so we just knew that we like we if we just pointed the camera at, at them and allowed them to tell their stories, like they were going to do most of the work for us. And a lot totally, of yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And it's true. I mean, you, these guys. I mean, they've been cutting promos their whole lives and and telling stories, like you said. Uh, but I love what you mentioned about the unsolved mysteries and the kind of feel to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned behind the music. I'm, I'm sure you guys have, must have seen that along the way. And that uh, these these shows were an influence. Before we really get into how you got to that point, though, you mentioned you were friends uh, growing up. I don't know how old you were uh, when you guys met, and when did uh, this part of you know getting into production, making films, enter your lives? Oh my! Well, I get ever since I was in high school. I basically like I think when I was in like middle school, I like you know discovered a camera, and then like just made any opportunity I could, any school project or anything, I turned it into like a video project. And then it just like, it stayed with me. And I just kept making like short films in high school and out of high school until, um, 
like myself, I made like some shorts that like played online that like went viral or went viral at film festivals. And <laughs> where Evan and I met was actually I had made a short film uh, that played at the, the Sundance Film Festival in Utah. And Evan was a film distributor at that time. And he was yes. there. And that's how we, we both we both ran into each other there. And like, yeah. I'm pretty sure we instantly you know, <laughs> discovered we both like loved wrestling. And then from that point on, whenever you would like see us together, we were always like throwing chopping. each other into, yeah, throwing yeah, each other into wrestling moves and just being idiots. <laughs> like, but like, yes. we had always, like we had always like got into like the behind the scenes stories. Like Evan yeah. would like read about some and he would tell me and I would read about some and tell him. And for like, probably like six years we like we've been like really concentrated on diving into I, yeah. wrestling history and i i don't mean for this to sound pretentious at all but like there is a weird like poetry to all of like the like stories of wrestling i don't know like they're so like either cosmically tragic or there's just like i don't know it's it, it's 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 they were just always so fascinating to us, like the lives that a lot of these people had led or or like, you know, protecting the business, the idea of kayfabe and like protecting yeah. the mystery and having to live their gimmicks out in, uh, you know, in like the public arena. I mean, that that is so singular to wrestling. So mm -hmm. we just knew there was a potential uh, with telling these stories in a way. And we didn't know at first if it was going to be like a scripted thing or uh, which we tried to make and then, you know, found out that. You know, like Hollywood didn't really care about wrestling at all. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stigma towards it, I think, still. And so yeah. then it was like for us, it was really the Bruiser Brody thing. That was really what was like, oh, man, there's a massive story here. This is because I, I always kind of tend to look at it as if if what happened to Bruiser Brody and those who don't know, I mean, he was he was killed by another wrestler in a locker room before a match um and uh and his his killer actually got off you know from a you know on on self defense and there's a lot of kind of circum shady circumstances around that potentially but it, it's like if that were to happen today like it would be front it would be front page news headlines everywhere like if a WWE like if something like that happened to WWE today like you know that that would be everywhere mm -hmm. so we just felt like that this story you know has almost in some ways been forgotten that it was like um, you know, uh, by like a few generations of of wrestling fans, certainly my generation and everyone else who who's younger. So um, that was kind of the impetus for us to really put this together. But yeah, for me, like to answer your question, it was like, you know, I had worked about seven eight years in film distribution, so I had actually been releasing documentaries and releasing uh, feature films, and then I found my way to Vice, and that's where um, right around the time. You know, Jason and I were really close, and um, and I was producing, you know, short short documentaries for the web, and and just always wanted to do something about wrestling, and and it really was the Brody story that that, that captivated us both. You know, and it really is incredible. You mentioned the the kayfabe aspect, but there are just so many other parts to this machine mm -hmm. in professional wrestling because. Uh, you mentioned that it's this kind of the secretive organization. It's a brotherhood, a sisterhood as well. And then you have these guys that are working in a business where you're basically all independent contractors. You're mm -hmm. traveling uh, pretty much an entire year. You're living with these people. You're not just showing up for work. Uh, it's not like, and I've worked around professional athletes uh, most of my career, and it's it's a different world because that, that is a much more controlled world. 
mm-hmm. and uh, while you've got, say, promoters and that kind of thing. But in between, when these guys show up and step into the ring, there's all kinds of things going on behind the scenes between, uh, you know, relationships and guys totally. uh, trying to figure out ways to keep their bodies in shape and how to get up and how to stay awake. And, you know, it, it really is. There's just so many stories. And I, I would think, I mean, I, you started with Brody, but immediately you guys must have been saying, we've got, when you sat in a room with Vice and said, we have a hundred stories. We yes. could do, you know, but why, why Brody? Why were you guys so fascinated with that story? I think, um, well, mainly because I, I think it was something that has been forgotten a little bit. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely out of the zeitgeist of wrestling, you know. Um, and, and, and for us, it was kind of an opportunity. I, I, and, and Jason and I, first, first and foremost, really got captivated with just who Bruiser Brody was as a person. I mean, we... Yeah, I think so. I think, like, as kids or, like, you, when we ever, whenever we saw Bruiser Brody, it was kind of mm-hmm. like you just saw that guy and that was like... You just thought that that was just some like wild guy like wrestler, but then when you like you really uh, read about who Frank Goodish was like the person, um, that was like so fascinating, and you really realize like how like through Brody, he like his psychology and like how he developed his character and he protect how he protected the business and and protected his character was that. I don't know. It was like, that was like such an incredible like portrait of like an artist um, mm. that I've, I, I just never heard of an artist like that before. Like someone who lives their character into their everyday public life. Like yeah. probably I think it was like the thing that just like, I, it locked me in like right away was when I heard his wife like talk about how she was like, I never met like Bruiser Brody. Like she's <laughs> like, I, I only knew Frank Goodish. <laughs> and she would like take him and drop him off to the airport so he could go perform somewhere. And she said he would like kiss her goodbye. And as soon as he left the car, he would like pull out his like ponytail and his hair would like expand out. And mm-hmm. she would see the character like the Bruce transformation. Walk. Yeah, the transformation. Yeah. The character walk into the public. Wow. And that to me was like, oh, that is so crazy. Like, yeah. where else? Like, do you get that in, in performance art? You know, no one, no artists or actors ever, you know, screw Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, no one <laughs> that degree. Yeah. Jim know? Carrey. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> there's, but, but there is, like, yeah, there's, like, the method acting side of it. But it's also the visuals of, like, any family photos. Like, if you look at the family photos in, our, in the episode, it's, like, here's a guy who's, like, posing with his son, who he loves very much, but he's got these, like really insane like scars in his forehead you know that he's just yeah. you know cut himself with and it's really like these it, it, it's it, i think the line between like who he was as a character and who he was in in real life um i think some of the the, the best feedback we've gotten on the episode is, is really from a lot of, or, or at least from people in the business is like wow i i never saw that side of him you know mm-hmm. I, I never saw the the Brody, the father kind of side, you know? And so that, that to us is just really fascinating how you have these two completely compartmentalized personas, you know, in this one guy. But then obviously I think the real thing that hooked us aside of that, of just being fans of Brody was this idea that, you know, since this, you know, since this murder story really is taking place in a kayfabe locker room, you know, and, and, and the concept of the police coming in, not knowing what's real and yeah. what's fake. Right. And then also when this thing goes to trial, 
the jury who uh, isn't smartened up, so to speak, is, you know, watching footage of, you know, or seeing photos or footage of Brody as this wild, out of control maniac. Violent person, yeah. Violent person. And that's yeah. his that's his persona that's painted to a jury. And then you really have this kind of just, you know, gray area of, you know, what's going on. And that later led to what, you know, um, a lot of people feel was unjust in terms of what happened in that scenario. Um, and of course, you know, we'll never know exactly what happened. And that's right. also one of the other kind of tantalizing things about the story, too. So it had kind of all those ingredients, um, you know, in order to tell a very compelling story to non-fans. And that's a huge part of the show, too, is that we really wanted to engineer this series to be accessible to people who aren't, uh, you know, like all of us on the call, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned different sides to uh, Bruiser Brody. Uh, you you hear from different things that he was this you know great guy that uh, you know cared about the business, but that he could also be menacing and also uh, didn't have people that, that liked that you know that there were people yeah. that didn't like him, mm -hmm. and uh, so that added to the story. And then totally. of course you bring Puerto Rico into it, which mm -hmm. was you know you hear the, the wrestlers tell the stories of visiting that place, which you know. Uh, the, besides the fans who would literally want to kill you and, uh, you know, promoters that might pay you. Uh, it just really adds to the intrigue of this story and the fact that it was in another country. And how many different versions of this story did you hear? I mean, it seems like there are just so many. Like you said, we don't we will never know the real truth. But, you know, how many different versions of this did you hear? Well, uh, uh, you know, Doing a lot of the research uh, on this story, uh, and feel free to jump in, Jason, but like, you know, for the most part, you hear from Tony Atlas and Dutch Mantel, who were present in the locker room, you know, that day. Right. And um, their account is mostly in sync of what, what they saw and what happened. Um, mm. And then, you know, unfortunately, we weren't really able to get much of, you know, the perspective of a lot of the Puerto Rican wrestlers because, um, they declined to be interviewed for the piece. They still don't you know, want to talk about it, huh? Still, still don't want to talk wow. about it. But a lot wow. of the newspapers at the time, you know, I mean, Brody was a beloved wrestler in Puerto Rico. But at the same time, um, I think the way that it was kind of reported was, you know, what was being put out in the defense. Because nobody was really there on his behalf. Or, you know, Tony mm -hmm. wasn't there. Dutch wasn't part of the trial. Most of it was... You know, his word, you know, Jose Gonzalez, the person who attacked him, it was his word over anybody else's because there was no, you know, there wasn't anybody else there to really say anything different. So, um, you know, for the most part, you know, we've heard other things over, you know, since making the episode and some other stuff, too. That's that's that, that's interesting. But, you know, for the most part, this is primarily the version of the story that we've been told, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, and it, 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 the tragedy too is that he didn't have to die. Uh, no. They could, you know, uh, that must have been uh, really incredible to uh, hear these people tell it. And I've heard, you know, uh, Atlas tell the story, but yeah, you know, you're like, what? Why? Why did it take so long? Why didn't they help him? Exactly. Yeah, and just yeah. all the, you know. You hear about the extraneous factors of like, you yeah. know, uh, ambulance trying to get there, being like like lots of traffic, people not being able to load him in. And then, yeah. of course, he's not treated, you know, at the hospital straight away. Yeah. And then you hear the other wrestlers were scared to step into it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, there's just so many uh, different uh, factors that, that went into this. Um, before we move on, talk about some of the other the other uh, uh, episodes. Uh, what was it about? The, was there anything in this episode you felt you guys uncovered that maybe hadn't been brought out before? Huh. Um, 
God, it's been a minute now. <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. think. Um, I think like, or what did you think the episode really put light on when 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 after you sat and watched this? Well, I think it was kind of. I think one thing, one aspect of the story that's kind of not been out there, which I think kind of gives gravity to the whole thing, is mm-hmm. is really Brody's son's interview. You know that uh, he's he's never spoken to anybody about this before, and not not just you know reporters or document. I mean, he's not, he hasn't done anything. I don't think he's ever talked uh-huh. to anybody about this before. And uh-huh. so that that to us was you know uh, we were super grateful that you know he was willing to speak to us and you know uh, he he trusted us. Um, but you know you really hear from him when you hear him talk about like how you know all these other people he 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 meets and. Or, you know, all these other people have memories of his father, but him, you know, and that's just like gut wrenching, you know, in in terms of uh, that. So I think, you know, hearing from Jeff and really understanding kind of, uh, you know, the weight of, you know, the the people that this really affected the most, um, you know, is something that really, you know, hadn't been out there. Um, You know, I don't think David Manning's perspective had been out there either. Yeah. Um, at least from him, like, I think he spoke to some of the rumors of, uh, Brody being owed money down there. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think David Manning has talked about that before. Well, it was, it was fascinating to watch. It really is. And, and, uh, folks, you're going to catch a first episode. I would recommend doing that one, but there's so many other ones. But I, I wanted to uh, ask you as far as getting this turned into a series, because I think initially what, uh, Vice uh, Viceland gave you what? Okay, we'll do this one and take a look at it. I mean, how did that all come together? And what was their reaction when you uh, actually did it? Did this this episode? Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, as we mentioned, uh, the Bruiser Brody story was the proof of concept pilot that that we uh-huh. had did, and I think the response was like you know was super positive. Um, just in like. You know, most Vice content that you see on Vice or Vice Land is is very much like you know they're not about stories from the '80s. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're mostly like man on the street. You know, someone interviewing somebody else, and it's more newsy. And yeah. you know, this was kind of a very formal approach to you know a more like traditional documentary thing. Um, and 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 like the response was really good, and and um, it was just like so. You know, what else you got? Like, what other stories and. And, 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 and there was like an opening for us to really, you know, make this show. Um, and yeah, we, we just, you know, tried to identify as many other stories that we could get access to, you know, people who would talk to us and other stories that kind of fit, um, you know, like check the boxes of, uh, like the themes that we wanted to explore, whether that was like kayfabe or, you know, like, you know, the idea of, yeah, reality clashing with fiction, that kind of a thing, or, you know, just kind of a, a true crime scenario or a, or a dark controversial scenario within wrestling. That was kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we were just pretty much, we, we finished the pilot, I think at the end of 2017 and then we were off to the races. Um, I think it was like just about three, three and a half months later, we were kind of like off to the races mm-hmm. um, in terms of, in terms of making the rest of the se- of the first season. Yeah. So you get a green light, and how many episodes are they are they giving you, uh, you know, money or funding to do? Uh, was it? Uh, I think it was initially we we're going to do eight, or uh, what? Yeah, what they t- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that that's exactly right. We we, we were going to do more the first time around, 
Yeah. And um, then, you know, <laughs> as you know, probably from being involved in production, things oh, yeah. change and you know, <laughs> budgets yeah. shift around and things. Yeah. And so we had to kind of uh, put pause on, on, on two episodes that, that, that we had started work on. Well, um, hopefully we're going to see those soon, but uh, yeah, we'll discuss yeah. that later. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So uh, uh, I wonder, you know, when you, when you find out, OK, we get to do these uh, shows. There are so many stories. Uh, how did you guys decide? And I don't know which order you shot them in, but mm. uh, you know, the match made in heaven and uh, the Montreal Screw Job, uh, the last of the Von Erics, the mysterious death of uh, gorgeous Gino, and the fabulous Mula. Uh, how did you did you uh, you know lay out all these things on the floor? We probably had fifty of them. And how did you decide that these are the ones you wanted to to make? Yeah, we had like a bunch of like we. We probably had, I don't know, around like 12 ideas to begin with that we were really excited about jumping into those stories. Yeah. Um, and we had already done like like a, a ton of research um, about all of these stories. And so it was kind of like, I guess in some ways it was like pitching it to like our fellow like crew members and our like fellow friends and just anyone who would like hear us about, you know, we would pitch <laughs> the stories. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And just yeah. kind of gauge other people's reactions. But also we kind of tried to like strategically pick topics that could help introduce like an outside wrestling audience, like into the world of wrestling, like the Montreal, Montreal screw job story. It had been told before, right. but we thought of like another like perspective we could tell because it's such a great story that helps an audience like understand like the inner workings of the wrestling business. And that, uh, and it does like such a great job of kind of educating our audience, like on mm -hmm. how it works. So it informs them for the other episodes as well too. Um, and then like the, you know, the Von Eric episode um, was a story we had heard before, um, but it had never, I guess like been given the, like the treatment that we always like envisioned like for it. And we, really wanted to spend time with Kevin and um, and just see if we could um, tell the story in a way that, I don't know, I guess hadn't been told before. And um, and his life story is just, it's the, like, you couldn't, you couldn't write that as a script and yeah, pitch no to someone and think, and they would take you seriously in some yeah. ways, you know? I don't know how that hasn't uh, been made into a feature film because oh, uh, it is, yeah, you couldn't, that's like, a, you, you can't make it up. I mean, it's, that's a uh, dream of ours. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And, and I want to get into each, I, I want to find out a little bit about each one of these. Uh, of course, one that, that just fascinated me, I wanted to watch first was the, the match made in heaven mm. because, mm -hmm. you know, I worked around Randy and Liz a lot when I was back there Amazing. with the WWF and, uh, you know, that also people knew of the story, but at the same time, there was a lot behind the scenes that I never knew about. And so I, it educated me, but uh, how difficult was it, and, and through a lot of these, to get people to want to talk about it? I know Linda Hogan was a big part of that one, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, other people, even, you know, like Bruce Pritchard, who I, I know very well, <laughs> who uh, he's... He, he still clings in some ways to kayfabe. There's things he doesn't want to talk about, but he was totally. really candid in this one. So I was kind of wondering how you uh, approach this and how you got people to open up so much on all this. You I know, think, um, yeah, I think, uh, well, Bruce, as an example, like out, right after we did the, the Bruiser Brody um, episode, that when that was mm -hmm. finished, um, you know, Bruce's podcast had just started to take off, I think, like in a, in a big way. 
And so, yeah. of course, you know, we were both listening to it and we were like, oh, this is great. I mean, we 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 borrowed a lot from from his podcast, yeah. uh, especially we can talk about Gino later. But that's really where the idea came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, and so like Bruce was one that, you know, I reached out to like, hey, man, we might get a, a full season. I want to show you the Bruiser Brody episode. Um, I'll just use Bruce as an example. And I, we actually invited Bruce to the vice office. Just, and we and we screened the Brody episode for him because I knew if we were going to do a full season, Bruce would be a great voice to have because he, you know, at the time wasn't with the company anymore. Yeah, he's a great <laughs> storyteller. He's a great yeah. storyteller. He's yeah. super funny, and, yeah. and 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 he's very yeah. He's he, he's really good on uh, uh, you know on the mic as they say. And so, um, and so he he really liked you know the he liked the Brody thing a lot, and we just uh, got to be kind of you know acquaintances and then more friendly as time went on and and i think what we tried to do with every subject is we really tried to not come across as like normal tv people you know Mm -hmm. and we tried to also not come across as wrestling fan too much of a wrestling fan you (laughs) know what i mean so it's kind of like you have to yeah yeah, so it's well (laughs) you know you just you just you know because because you know consciously or unconsciously they'll you know they'll they'll react in a different way to either one of those if you're right. too much of a TV person, they're gonna they're gonna clam up and they're not mm-hmm. gonna open up to you. And if you're a wrestling fan, they're just gonna look at you in a different way. It's just the way it is, you know. And so we well, kind of sound like to... you built that trust. Exactly. And I didn't know. Did you know Bruce previously until you brought him into that office to see the? the episode? No, no, oh, okay. no, no, no. I I got his number from I think Dutch Mantel or something, and and we spoke, and you know, it was kind of a a somber, not somber. This was a regular phone call, and but then when we got to really know him, you know, now we're friends, and it's great. Yeah. Um, but that was really the key. It was just like, we just wanted to try and develop relationships with all of these people, you know, in order so so we could kind of, you know, so they could be comfortable and we could put them in a good environment, um, and a good headspace to tell stories, which are not easy stories to tell, you know? Um, and so that's, we just tried to be as genuine and as we possibly could, I guess, not trying to be anything really just trying to be us. And, um, and that, and that really helped, you know, um, in, in terms of getting a lot of people to open up about those sort of things or, you know, cause this obviously wrestling has a history of, you know, people not wanting to reveal, you know, reveal behind the curtain or, you know, tell the full truth of something. And, and of yeah. course, you know, that goes without saying that, you know, we weren't successful all the time, you know, <laughs> on the show, you know, there, there are definitely some people who are working us for sure throughout the season. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, really? Is that a story? Wait a minute. Whoa. Oh, whoa. Whoa. Go ahead. Um, well, you know, he's he. You know, it, it's it's hard to imagine like sitting here like in what are we? This is 2019. It's like hard to imagine that he was wrestling in the 50s. You know, that's like I can't even comprehend that. You know? Yeah. It's like science fiction. Um, and uh, but so you know he comes from a generation that's like you know obviously you know, completely protected, you know, and, 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 and all the way. Oh, like, you know, all the way, you know, and, and for us, it was just, you know, it was really, it was one of the more challenging interviews. And it was one of our early ones, because it was from the pilot, in terms of getting him to open up in sort of like a real kind of emotional way, you know, which is kind of <laughs> preposterous to think for someone to attempt to do that. But, um, and for us, it was just a process. It was just like, yeah, you learn you know, along the way a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and he he was working us along the way and you know, oh, hus- yeah. hustling us for cash whenever possible. And you know, but but then it was really like when we showed him, we sat him down and we actually showed him footage of Bruiser Brody, uh, and and that's what really was kind of 
you know. Yeah, we showed him at like his old matches with Brody, and uh, he actually like got teary, like teary eyed about it. Yeah, um, yeah, and like it was, but that it was too bad because we did that kind of near the end of the day, and then he was like. I don't know. He became such more of an open person at that point. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah believe before, me, I, I've been there. Yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. You know what I'm about. talking it, about. It, it but I'll never forget a... it. I'll never forget it. And like, I wouldn't I, trade it for anything. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I want to explain a little bit to everybody listening that, and, and I don't know if this is the way you did it, but uh, I know I did a, I did a lot of uh, highlight films, everything. I worked for Major League Baseball Productions, and I did yeah. a, a series called Greats of the Game, and we would go out. And we would find these uh, former major league ball players. A lot of them were Hall of Famers, and we would go to their homes and we would sit them down. And we would have, you know, that we would have eight shows or whatever planned out, and we would get every ounce we could from them on these yeah, stories. Totally. Is that how you guys did it? And and uh, people have to understand that it requires an incredible amount of preparation. As, or did you guys go per show? How'd you do it? Well, we, we, we tried to be as like efficient as possible, uh, yes. you know, where, wherever possible. But there's definitely times where we had to go back, you know, to certain people to get more. Um, you know, it's just the nature of it, the nature of the production schedule. Um, but we, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we tried to be as researched as possible. All the interviews are very long. I think uh, I think Bret Hart takes the takes the cake on that yeah, one. Really. I think it was like five and a half hours or some absurd. Oh, I thought you were going to say more. Could, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I, I know uh, other people who did like eight hours. I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty extensive. I mean, I had to stand the whole time during the interview and got plantar fasciitis from his tile floor. So <laughs> that that's how long it was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so we had to, you know, and, and we just, we just, we, yeah, we just tried to be as prepared and as thorough as possible. And since Jason and I, you know, we're like, we're editing it in, in our heads as we're conducting the interviews. Yeah. So we're always trying to, you know, we're, we, we get people to repeat things and rephrase things all the time. And we always get ribbed for that. Um, but you know, that's just, you know, yeah. Part of the process, I guess. Yeah. And then you get in the car and go, ah, oh, shit. I forgot oh to ask yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Usually it would up. be, we get in the car and it was like, did we just get worked or was that a shoot? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I was finding out, uh, separating what was a work and what was a shoot in the car ride home. Now, <laughs> before we leave uh, the the match made in heaven, though, that uh, what a great story that is. Yeah. Because wow. of uh, you know, you talk about coming up with uh, you know this this incredible story of, of of not just wrestling and and success and failure and, and relationships that that uh, relationship had it all and that episode yeah. had it all. Uh, so when you guys were were doing that, uh, did you get a feeling of of just how dysfunctional that whole crazy situation was? I think, I think. Well, you know, obviously, Jason and I grew up and still are massive fans of both of them. You know, yeah. like who, who their their characters are. I mean, that's that is um, you know as, as quintessential I think as you can get. You know, really in yeah. this business, um, and. So for us, it was like we really wanted to we sort of looked at the story as like a fairy tale almost like this Shakespearean yeah. Yeah. sort of uh, roller coaster ride um, with its ups and its downs with its ups and its downs with, you know, regards to this kind of ro- like romantic love story. Um, but then, of course, you have like the kayfabe or just like the wrestling aspect of it, of where it's like 
you know, here's their characters, and then here's who they are in real life, and then what happens when those start to blur, you know, and, you know, you can't tell the difference, you know, it's kind of Bruce sums it up perfectly in that moment in the episode. And that to us is really fascinating for people yeah. to really kind of look at that as like, here's these, the blurred lines aspect of this, like, this like romantic storyline. So we thought that was just kind of a really cool way to approach it rather than doing kind of like a biop like a biopic type approach where right, it's like, right. you know, here's Randy, you know, he grew up here and, you know, he was in baseball and instead of doing that, it was just kind of, let's focus just on the relationship aspect and see if that can kind of carry an episode. And it was also really, I mean, it was really challenging. Like, I think the biggest challenge of the episode was for us to try and make sure that, you know, Miss Elizabeth kind of had a voice in that, in the episode because we really had a hard time getting people to kind of speak on her behalf because, you know, her family, is still, you know, uh, rocked by, you know, her loss and rightfully right. so. And, um, and, and that was, you know, unfortunately we couldn't get them to participate, but yeah. You know. And, and usually whenever we've ever heard about Miss Elizabeth, it's been through, um, a male, the, the perspective, perspective of the yeah male perspective. Yeah. Right. So it was like so important for us to try and find someone like a woman who was close to her, uh, during that time. And, well, uh, I think Linda Hogan did a good job of that, uh, of really kind of giving that perspective that I don't think a lot of people had heard before, right. what it was like for her to live in that world. And as I meant, you know, I said it's dysfunctional, but I'll tell you, I mean, I was around a lot of that. I love Randy. Randy, to me, to this day, was one of the, my favorite people that I ever worked with. But I just uh, saw just how crazy that that situation was for them. And then, you know, like when, when they had, the, you know, you, you mentioned the fairy tale and and here they have this true love that nobody got to see really behind the scenes that they you know earlier on in the relationship and then when they have this public wedding the one that's they're yeah. falling apart exactly you know? so yeah. It, yeah really it's just an incredible story and and a, and a tragedy when it all yeah like when when you were working there with them like how would you see that dysfunction would you see that like behind the scenes before cameras were rolling or did you see it actually like play out during the 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 action as well too. Well, I just think that in anybody in any situation to to try and have a relationship like that, and and if you knew what life on the road was and what that business was like, then I don't know how any relationship could survive. And uh, you, you know, Randy was protective, but at the same time, I don't know what man would have wanted it to be. It would have you know if he was with his wife, oh, just go and he you know he knew what the the world was like out there with these guys. So, uh, you know, I meant you know, maybe not necessarily even just for them, but that whole that whole world is just it's crazy. It is. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it just makes for it was a, just a great episode. And, and you mentioned about getting people to talk to you. Did you run into that a lot? Were there a lot of people along the way that you would have loved to have in some of these episodes? Yes. I, I you know, one that really stood out to me in the screw job was was uh, was Sean. And, yeah, uh, of course. So uh, tell me about that. Yeah, well, yeah, Shawn Michaels, uh, his kind of response was just like, eh, I'm moved on, I think, you know, from that story, uh, which is a shame because I, I think it yeah. would have added, added a lot to, to the story. Um, and so it was a challenge for us to try and, you know, do it without him. Um, on the Randy episode, the one that kind of shocked me uh, was actually Lex Luger. Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. he's talked a lot about it. I mean, I had him yeah. on my podcast and he was very... Exactly. About it. 
Exactly. And, and, and that was kind of my, my, my pitch to him was like, uh, I heard you, I think it was on, we actually used it in the episode because uh, that was the only way we could kind of convey it. But uh, he was on Eric Bischoff's podcast. And I remember when that, that came out and I, uh, and I, I remember listening to it and being like, wow, like his perspective on it is not what I had imagined. And, and to see that, you know, he's, um, you know, uh, been on such a journey since then and he's been so open about it. And uh, I felt like that's what I wanted, you know, in the story. Like we wanted to tell his story in this story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was, I was kind of surprised that that he didn't want to, he didn't want to do that. But because I, I think we would have handled it with care. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, I think every episode kind of, I'd have to what go was, back. What was what was Lex's re- uh, reasoning? Are they just what did he what did he say? I uh, he just. I, I, I can't remember. It's it's been a little while now, but I, I, I and I'm not trying to work you. I think no. it's just. Uh, I think it was just like you know, you know he he only wants to participate in things I think that are more on the, on the positive end of things, and maybe he didn't see this, you know, in turn. And I, 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 I tell it. Yeah, and like maybe I'm misquoting, but I, I think it was just like you know, you know, he wants to, you know, he only wants to have like you know, uh, tell stories that are positive, and this one has aspects to it that aren't, and you know, and but I'm not sure because I, I think people would have found it, you know, um, I think it would have been helpful for people to hear, you know, what he's gone through since then. But yeah, yeah, because I mean, uh, he's taken responsibility for that time in his life, and uh, yeah, exactly. But I, you know. We, we aren't in that situation, and maybe he felt it would have been something just kind of really opening a lot of wounds for Could people have. who maybe hadn't thought about because you know yeah. you see him at these shows now, and uh, I don't know if you guys have run into him at some of these, but really he could not be uh, nicer. And you know, you're people totally. back then, and and I worked with him briefly. I didn't really know him that well backstage, but you know, back then people were like he was just an arrogant jerk. You know, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, so, he was super nice. To, he was super, super, no, super he's nice uh, to us. Awesome. He, yeah. Yeah. Even in even in passing, he was you know passing on the on the episode. He was still very nice about it. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, um, and, but uh, you know, it, it's you know, uh, it's it's tough because uh, you know for a lot of these guys, that's a very you know very dark the darkest chapter of his life, and you know yeah. for like a TV producer to come out of the woodwork and basically be like, hey, we want to tell about the darkest part of your life on TV for everyone. Whole thing. Yeah. It's 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 it, it's got to be overwhelming, and you know I can't imagine. That's why. We try to understand that, and and we're trying to go, you know talk to a lot of these folks and and just you know say take your time and you know get back to us and you know we want to just tell your story. We have no other agenda, and you know, you know yeah. So. Well, and it sounds like you, you did it right in a sense. You could you can't, and that's the one thing I've learned too is even you know you can't just force yourself on these people and say yeah you're going to do it, and, you, and, and bugging them is not going to help you. It's, you've got it to doesn't. develop like you said a relationship. Some yeah. level of trust that uh, you know, you're going to tell the story and tell yep. it right. So you guys uh, must have uh, maybe I maybe you, you know you felt like you stumbled initially, but kind of got the hang of it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how you guys did it, but uh, case you, by you case, learn about this yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, and in and in the Von Eric episode, and um, that story is just unbelievable, and the way you told it, and the the reenactments, I think, helped it a lot, but. You know, God, like I said before, you could not you could not make that story up. I can't imagine a, a screenwriter coming up with that tale uh, to think that no way. Then they're not going to have a, you know one of the brothers trips on a wire or trips on a wire gets electrocuted and suffocates in the snow. Yeah, 
You know, I mean, just and and one after another, and you know, and Kevin says, "Well, it's not cursed, but man, how do you think otherwise?" Yeah, I mean, it, it was it's it's such a um, deeply sad, sad, sad story, um, and it actually wasn't our initial plan to include it uh, in the first season because we. We were like, well, you know, thirty for thirty's done a thing. Right, right. There's the there's the uh, there's the heroes of world class documentary, which is really good. There's the there's like the the WWE version of it, um, and it was kind of like, you know, we actually approached Kevin to be in the Gino Hernandez episode, just as I have a, a you know someone who knew him and and uh, and and all that. And then it was kind of like looking at you know how much it would cost to go out to Hawaii and bring a crew and you know, do all that stuff, you know, uh, and then it was like, well, if we did Kevin's story, you know, on top of doing, having him in the Gino episode, it would kind of make economic sense for us to do it. Right. And, uh, and that was really this jumping off point. And then it was just like, wow, I can't, I can't imagine that we didn't do it. It's like it's wild. Um, but that for us was, um, kind of the most magical experience, uh, not to sound, you know, whatever, but that it was, you know, like, we kind of arrived in Hawaii. I remember kind of being in like a daze, you know, because we've just been traveling so much and, you know, going to like seemingly the same town over and over again, you know, where these people live. Right. And uh, and then here we are on this beautiful, unbelievable, jaw-droppingly beautiful island and um, and going into the kind of Von Erich compound because his whole family, not just him and his wife and his kids, but like, you know, his his extended family is like all there. There's like 20, 25 Von Erichs, you know, <laughs> on this compound. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, it was, it was wild. It was beautiful jaw dropping farms and waterfalls and beautiful. And they were just so um, like welcoming to us. Like instantaneously, it was like uh, we were almost family in a, in a weird way. And it was like, <laughs> they sat us down and, and uh, we just went through like, you know, looking at all of his photos, looking at all this cool stuff, and like you'd be sitting down on his couch, and then like Kevin Von Erich would literally somersault like over the couch, like <laughs> yeah. sitting down next to you with a cigar, be like, yeah, like yeah, like somersaulting over the couch, sitting down next to you with a cigar, being like, so what you looking at, bud? You know, or whatever. <laughs> and and it was just like Surreal. so cool. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like you know, when it was time for the cameras to turn on and, and to, you know, it was obviously not an easy interview process, maybe one of the harder interview processes that we had to do because, you know, Kevin has done so many interviews on this yeah. subject over the years. And every time it seems like it's painful. But I think with this one, you know, because of all of the ways that I think his family has been depicted uh, his father has been depicted and, and other ways throughout, you know, these other documentaries and exposés and whatnot. You know, it was it was kind of a process for us to kind of be like, no, 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 like, it's OK. We're not like, you know, we're not like, you know, from 2020 and like trying to expose the business or whatever, you know, or trying to like create Make have any agenda. Bad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like yeah. we just are here and we want to just hear what you've been like, what you went through. And so it was kind of that process of just letting him go. And it took about two days literally to get that yeah. full interview yeah i remember the first day being a little rough um but the, by the end of the day we, we we had already cut like this little internal trailer for the bruiser brody episode and we showed that trailer to him and his sons mm -hmm. and as soon as it was like they loved it and as soon as it was done like 
uh, Kevin was like, oh, that's like the, the thin blue line. And we're like, oh, <laughs> so you know Errol Morris is like. Yeah, oh. I couldn't believe it. And then that, he just got it. He just like, he got it from then. And then we showed up the next day. He said that like him and him and his boys, like they just kept talking about that Bruiser Brody trailer that they saw the night before. And um, I think it just, I, I don't know. It got him to open up to us a bit more uh, to us. And I think he saw like how like we portrayed Bruiser Brody and we got more into, I think just like, you know, the, the, the man behind the character and I think like Kevin like really like respected our treatment of Brody, and um, and yeah, he's like that next day he he opened up so much to us, and we included one of his sons um, to sit with us during the interview. So if That's there was true. like anything that we had you know missed, uh, the sons had heard all the stories and know right. all the details. So and that were, level of comfort was really key, I think, because yeah. I think also one other thing too is most of not all but most of the the Von Erich stories that have been covered before, it's like, you know, you see Kevin like out of his element, like he's in a studio with a backdrop or something, you know? And, right. and, and this, it's like, you know, he's on his property. He's surrounded by his family, surrounded by the people that, you know, that, that he loves and love him. And, and of course, one of his sons being there to kind of help him through this process. I mean, that really was kind of the, the ingredient to getting that really that, that powerful interview from him. And I just wanted to say uh, in hindsight now, it's kind of dawning on me, is that like you know the Bruiser Brody really was like this like like legitimacy card that worked with us like throughout the whole season, you know? Because like a lot of these wrestlers when we would pitch them doing this doing their stories or being part of the show, it was like, well, we did the Brody thing, and then and they'd be like, oh, okay, then I'm in, you know, like you know, because everyone seen it. Well, yeah. no, just 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 because Brody is just so uh, like oh, legit, yeah. you know, yeah. like <laughs> like uh, I, I even remember Bret Hart. It was like. Yeah, we want to do this Montreal screw job thing. He's like, Oh, I've said everything I've yeah, wanted to right. say about that. And yeah. it's like, Well, we did this Bruiser Brody thing and you know, worked with his family and then he was like, All right, I'm in, you know, kind of thing. You know, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> yeah. Brody Brody cares a lot of like legitimacy with a lot of um Yeah. You know? That's cool. It seems like a lot of the wrestlers like respect yeah, him. had Big a time. lot of respect and were fans of him. You know? Yeah. Uh, like Scott Hall talks so much about like like we were just, when we hung out with Scott Hall, we just talked about Brody like all yeah. the time because he was like this major mark for Brody, <laughs> and like he got to have a match with Brody, and uh, the way he talks about that is like talking a kid. It's like talking to a kid who like got to meet their hero. It you know? is because he he gets all excited you know, when he's like. I got to backdrop Brody, you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, maybe that, that's another episode you guys have with uh, with uh, Scott because yeah. he's had a great story. But totally, when yeah. you, you mentioned Kevin, Kevin Von Eric, and in that interview, uh, he was – and he, you said that he had told the story many, many, many times. He's done a lot of interviews, told the story mm-hmm. about his family. But, I, you know, there are points in there where he said, I, you know, he had to stop. Why do you think that – and maybe you already touched on this because he was so comfortable around his family or whatever the situation, but it seemed like this was really an emotional experience for him to, to and a lot yeah. maybe things that he hadn't really brought up in a long time or something. There were, there actually were um, uh, a couple of things that had not been brought up in, in his, in his last couple of interviews that he had done previous mm-hmm. um, uh, case in point, the one where, you know, his dad pointed the gun at him was yeah. a story that, he told me afterwards that he hadn't thought about or told in over 10 years. Um, and so um, 
so for him, it was literally like, you know, he could only go for like, you know, 20, 30 minutes, maybe 30 minutes at a time. You know, also, I think just the wear and tear of, of, you know, being in wrestling and having to sit in a chair and things like that is difficult. But, you know, he also, it got very emotional at times. And I think he just needed a minute to kind of reset and, you know, which is totally understandable. Um, and I think, you know, and, and you definitely see it in the episode, um, you know, that, that this is definitely something that, that is a heavy weight that's still there. You know, it's never yeah. going to go away, yeah. obviously. Um, but yeah, and, and, and that was just part of it for us being there that was very emotional of just like, you know, um, you know, I, I'm just looking, I'm staring down at my interview questions and just knowing that, like, you know, the next thing we have to get to and the next thing we have uh, to get to, you know, and, and just, it was, it was, it was tough, you know, but at the end of the day, he was super strong. And, you know, when we were finished, you know, it was just, you know, it was all hugs and it was great. And, you know, um, and, uh, I was so relieved. I was so relieved that he liked the episode and it's just like, that's, uh, Oh, one of the, you know, yeah, and just and just hearing how much he, him and his family really appreciated it, and I think one of the best compliments we've gotten was just, you know, that his family has told us that we really captured not only just the story, but also kind of his way of life, you know, and his outlook. Yeah. You know, well, I'll tell you, and yeah, one, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to add something else to that? Well, I was just going to say that, like, yeah, like his outlook on life is so, like, you know, the. To go what he's gone through through his life and to come out of the other side like this um, yeah. is like pretty remarkable. And I gotta say, like when you're with him there in Kauai, there is something like strange about how it's almost literally like Mother Nature has been like taking care of him. Totally, because um, like the the animals all on the property are like they're like following him around, right? And, like, yeah. yeah. You know, and he's just so one with nature and he like he like goes and just like into the woods and he'll just hang out in, in a tree and just be with his thoughts or you know, he talked. I think there's a quote in our episode about how he would like he would just go like scuba, like free diving at night in the ocean. Oh, yeah. yeah and he would just like swim to the bottom of the ocean at night and just turn off his headlamp. And just sit in the darkness. Like to me, I can't think of anything more terrifying, more frightening. Yeah, yeah. But to him, yeah. that's peace. Like he is yeah, so yeah. at peace with yeah. that. Um, and that's I don't know. That's pretty mind blowing to me. Yeah, he's I'm, very. I'm surprised you guys came back from the compound. I thought maybe you guys were going <laughs> to hang out for a few weeks. Oh, I could have easily. But I'll tell you, I really loved the way that 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 it ended. Here you have this uh, unbelievable tragedy of a family. But when you when the story wraps up, there, it's you're very uplifted because, like you said, he, here's a guy that went through all of this, just incredible a grief, and the fact that he said, "I still want to be here on this planet," and then you see uh, kind of the continuance with his sons, and yeah. I just I love the way it didn't end on this big uh, oh well, and he has to live with this the rest of his life. You know, it was just, but you felt the, uh, it was really uplifting when you at the end of it that he'd been through all of this and yet. He's still celebrating life. Yeah. When we really got into it with him and uh, even one of the things that he said to me after he watched it, which I think to me validated, you know, us going through all of this and him having to relive it again was really, you know, is that he told me, like, I just hope it helps somebody, you know, and uh, that's very, you know, I mean, and and that's exactly it, you know, and I think that you 
walking away from this, you, you sort of see, well, if this guy can survive all of this, you know, it is an empowering message, you know, to the same, you know, on that note. And, and so that was to us, I think it, I think it had to end in that way because that was our feeling being there. Like our feeling being there wasn't like, okay, we just relived all of this, you know, very, you know, tragic stuff. And we're, 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 you know, leaving, you know, more depressed, you know, no, it's, it's, we left feeling feeling that way, like feeling really like uplifted, right? I mean, yeah, right? absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the whole way home, it, I felt like I was in a daze because it was like it was, it was like an eighteen hour journey. But like we had like scanned like their fo- their family photo albums, and I just spent the whole way home like making a montage of like taking all their photos and making like a musical montage out of it. Just I, it was like in some way like a therapeutic thing for me to kind of like decompress like everything like I had just like gone through, yeah. um, like because it was such an emotional like yeah. uh, experience with with them, um, and yeah, I, I it just I remember coming back to Toronto and we were just so like ex- like excited about what like we had captured in the story that we, that Kevin had given us in such a way we knew, we knew before we even cut it, that we had like such an incredible special interview. He knew. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, that is so important to like wrestling fans to hear from Kevin Von Eric, I think in that way, because he comes from like such an important time period and what his family did to the rest for the wrestling business is like you it, you can't really find any other family that could match that I think um and yeah it's just like to me it's like we're capturing like like these time capsules or like these like historical you know documents of a of a <laughs> bygone time you know yeah yeah, yeah really and, and I'll tell you the one line that really stands out from it all is when you know Kevin talks about when his father is pointing the gun at him and I think and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember the exact words. It takes guts something. to live, not yeah. guts to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and really, that was the, like you said. If he's helping people, uh, if they hear that, you know, and 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 hear the story, uh, I'm I'm sure he's helped a, a lot of people, and, and that's great. Um, what the thing about the series, guys, is that, and I, I uh, it it wasn't. You didn't do one episode like any other. Each one was completely different in telling the story. And was that a, a really important to you? Because, you know, sometimes even with Unsolved Mysteries or Behind the Music, it, it gets into kind of a formula. And it's every one of these, uh, to me, stood out completely on their own. They could be compl- uh, completely separate, uh, you know, from a different series completely. That's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I think we were we were just so under the gun in terms of, like, trying to deliver them by by a certain yeah. deadline and it was kind of like whatever the story kind of you know needed because it was like with the bruiser brody story it was very like thin blue line we i know we keep talking about that but it's like the yeah. philip glass music we cut the whole thing to like philip glass music you know and it was we were really in that you know 80s true crime documentary feel and then it was like you know with with like randy and liz it was like you know we wanted something that would be <laughs> almost like, really over yeah. the top over it was like top. a yeah like almost like a little bit like psychedelic fairy tale you know with 80s yeah. like heavily yeah. 80s influenced of like yeah and of that time period yeah and yeah. then the well, they, that's the, the way they played i mean i'm telling you I, and uh and i and i kind of i binge watched them so and Ooh. i could 
you know, uh, and, and so they, I would be able to see that if the, if that were the case when, you know, watching it. And I just thought, you know, each story was completely different. Um, and going forward, I'm, uh, I'm really anxious to see more. Uh, the one that, uh, I thought must've been a real challenge was telling the story of Mula because mm. not only because she's from an era, even though she did, you know, was still on the stage into the nineties and, but, uh, how tough a story was that to tell and to find these people and were they willing to talk or did it take some uh, persuasion? How did that episode go? Well, <clears throat> the fabulous Mula episode was, um, at the time when we were sort of sketching out what season one would be, ultimately, yeah, um, it was right around the time of that WrestleMania when the WWE was going to have the fabulous Moolah Battle Royale, and when you know this, when people complained and right. the, yeah. and Snickers, you know, uh, shut it down and they had to change the name, and that was all happening while we were kind of up and running, and so it was it was like that. That's what kind of you know, inspired us to try and take a look at this as a story. And it was obviously coming out of this kind of post me Too uh, era where it's like, you know, you're looking at, you know, separating, you know, should you separate art from artist and reexamining legacies in a, in a modern lens and things like that. And, and to us, uh, that was kind of fascinating just given who Mula was, you yeah. know, and what industry she's in. And, and of course being, um, you know, representing most of the women wrestlers and and so that gave us that opportunity to tell that story. And and for us, I mean, you know, it was challenging because, you know, obviously, again, you know, her career dates back to forever. very long. The forever 20s, ago. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was, you know, tagging with Abdullah. Uh, no. um, <laughs> and uh, so it's, you know, it was it was it was tricky. And, um, yeah. you know, in that yeah. sense. But but it was really like also, you know, talk, like talk about episodes having a different feel. I mean, that episode has a, a very different feel because. Where we were trying to tell lots of different little stories in one hour, which was very challenging, you know, because you're like every other subject we had kind of had a different experience. And we tried to kind of all piece that together because you have the sweet Georgia Brown story, which is, you know, very harrowing. And there's so much more to that story than we were able to kind of fit into the into the piece. Um, but, you know, that's in the 60s. And then you're talking about Wendy in the 80s. And, you know, you're talking about all this other stuff. And so it was very challenging and, you know, uh, to us. And it was like, you know, it was never our intention to, like, come out with, like, you know, by the end of the episode, here's the verdict, you know, on Fabulous Moolah. You know, it was really, I think with a lot of the episodes, we, we kind of leave everyone with, well, here's what we found. You know, what do you think? You know, and, 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 and I was, was just going to say that because yeah. that's what that came across to me. Uh, it was at the end of that, you're going, was she heel or baby face? You decide, you know, yeah. because there was, you know, a, a serious heat and there was serious love. And, and uh, you, you need to, to decide what you think from the story. <laughs> and I, I that was a great way to leave it. No, no and, and it's yeah. And it's also complicated. Like that's that's the other thing, too, is that it's not as uh, especially with when reexamining her legacy. Yeah. Or frankly, with a lot of a lot of people's legacies of that era and, you know, whatever is is it's not binary. It's not like so black or white. You know, there is a lot of gray area um, in terms of examining some someone's history, you know, especially if it dates that far back. And so that's another complicated aspect that we wanted to kind of show. And at least with a lot of the other stories, too, you know. Yeah. I did want to mention because you did talk about a possible uh, season two. So uh, tell us where you guys are right now with that. 
Yeah, right now it's just, you know, coming down to, um, you know, some, uh, I mean, it's looking very good. It's coming down to some negotiation and hopefully, you know, we can, everything can align perfectly and when we can, we we can announce something soon. Um, you know, we're, we're just, we're, uh, we're, we're definitely more than eager to get back to work. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so stay tuned for an update, um, very soon, hopefully. Uh, and I tell you, I can't wait to see. I I think you're what three quarters done with the Dino Bravo episode, but yeah, uh, I tell you, I mean, I am fascinated with that story. Uh, I, I I remember back in the day that uh, you know Dino was always nervous. I don't know. <laughs> uh, really? He always yeah. had had that feel oh, that tell us. chewing his nails and and uh, you know, and then after, of course, his death to find out what it kind of was all about, but. Really, yeah. what a fascinating story. Let's start season two right now. Yeah. What was your experiences with Dino? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved him. He was great. And, but there was you, really, he, it was always kind of he's looking over his shoulder. Wow. And, uh, oh, that's always, interesting. Yeah. I always uh, got the, sen- the sense I've gotten from like um, just meeting people who knew him is that like I, he really, it seemed like he really like cared about. You know, he, he like how I think he performed like mm-hmm. as in the ring and his character. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, yeah, there's just like a sense I get that like that that would, could have been like a struggle for him or like a struggle in WWF, like for him to like really because like in, in Montreal, he was like the Hulk Hogan in Montreal, he was like yeah. he was so so he was the end, like they would save him for last, like he was you know, top he was the top guy in his territory. And so to come the WWF, like I imagine to like, you know, kind of take a back seat in a sense, um, must've been difficult or he might've been like, so, like really self-conscious, like about that in some, in some ways. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's fascinating too. You uh, have guys like a uh, junkyard dog who was a King down right. South, mid South. He was it. I mean, hacksaw Jim Duggan talks about the, he blew the roof off that place. Yeah, and, we, and and to go to the WWF and he was a mid Carter at best, mm-hmm. and uh, that's another that's a fascinating story too. It is. Uh, it really but, is. Some yeah. of the stories about Junkyard Dog were the, some of the like first stories I think we became obsessed with. Totally. <laughs> uh, when we started like six years, six or seven years ago, really diving into the history of wrestling. Yeah. Well, I get to see us all sitting around a room and be, you know, uh, coming out with these stories. Oh, we got to tell this one. Love <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. That's how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yep. Well, uh, I, I'm, uh, I am very optimistic that we will see season two. Uh, Jason Good. Eisner and Evan Hunsney, uh, thank you uh, so much for coming on primetime. And uh, really, we could have gone in I, I, a couple more hours, but uh, we will do this again. And I can't wait to see you guys. Yeah. Yeah. That'd awesome. be great. Yeah, take it easy. Yeah, thank you, thank so, you much. so much for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. Oh, that was fun. I love talking with Jason and Evan, and I know that uh, they were scheduled to make a big announcement this week about uh, more stories coming your way from the dark side of the ring and the possibility of a second season. Uh, by the time you hear this, I hope that announcement has been made and we can all wait with great anticipation of another season of stories from the dark side of wrestling. Uh, love that. Dark Side of the Ring, what a great series. And um, I hope they have uh, the chance to tell many more. As I mentioned earlier, there is still time to possibly be part of an upcoming documentary on Rowdy Roddy Piper. 
We will continue to accept your stories, memories, encounters with Hot Rod. If uh, you're not a Patreon member yet, uh, do it now. You can do it. We've still got time. Like I said, if this, uh, this drops on Wednesday, you have till Friday the 26th so to submit your story. So go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Also, I'd love to hear from you. The uh, best way to reach me is via email at primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's primetimemooney at gmail.com. Let me know. Uh, you know, give me your feedback. Uh, tell me uh, who you'd like to uh, see, ha- see me get uh, here on the podcast. But uh, once again, primetimemooney at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at primetimemooney. See how easy this is? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at primetimemooney. And check out our fine line of T-shirts. I don't talk about these enough, but they're all part of the PTSM collection. Just go to MooneyTees.com. Yeah, and if you like what you're hearing, please go to iTunes, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us out, I'm telling you. And, of course, keep spreading the word. Okay, Uh, I think we got it all in there. Uh, Thanks for listening once again. And I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.